Would you pray with me, please? Father, we do invite your Holy Spirit here to speak to us, speak through us. And Father, we pray that everything that we do and say this morning will bring honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. How do you feel about crowds? Living here in Houghton, we don't have to deal with a lot of traffic and a lot of people on the streets and so forth. In fact, the only time I can think of being in a crowd in Houghton is if you happen to be on campus on a Monday, Wednesday, or Friday at 1140 when chapel lets out and a stream of students are making their way into the cafeteria. Other than that, we don't have to deal a whole lot with crowds here. In fact, probably most of us in in this Western culture don't feel real comfortable in crowds. We don't like the idea of people uh, in our own personal space kind of violating us if they come in a little bit too close. But there are people from other cultures who that just doesn't bother them. They're way more used to people crowding against them and pushing up against them from all sides. I remember the first time our family went on our missions trip to Eleuthera. When we got there, we were literally the very first light-skinned people that the children had ever seen in person. Some of them have TVs, so they'd seen people that looked like us before, but they just wanted to touch us. They wanted to touch our skin and our hair and, and climb up on our backs, and they wanted to be held, and they were on our arms and our legs. Personal space, forget it. <laughs> and then there's people who don't mind crowds at all. I know of a friend of mine who I went to high school with who had a, a physical deformity, and when she graduated from high school, she moved to the Bronx, to the heart of New York City, because she just felt more comfortable in a place where there were people everywhere and so much going on and, and other people who um, didn't look perfect like her. She just felt like she could blend in a little better with a lot of crowds around her. It kept her from being noticed and kind of protected her anonymity. This is the case with the woman that we're going to hear about this morning. A little bit of background first. Um, Jesus had just crossed the lake again, and two incredible things had happened since his last lake crossing. First, he had calmed a terrible storm. The Bible calls it a furious squall, just by speaking the words, peace, be still. The calming of that storm terrified the disciples even more than the storm did. Then when they reached the other side of the lake, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. He was a wild man. Even chains could not subdue him. He would actually break through the irons that were around his hands and his feet. No one could bind him. And Jesus cast out the evil spirits that were in in this man. And there were many of them. And he sent them off into a a herd of 2,000 grazing pigs who ran down a steep bank, fell into the lake, and were drowned. The Bible tells us that those that were uh, tending the pigs ran off immediately and reported what they had seen to the whole town and even to the whole countryside. If those two incidents weren't enough to draw a crowd, Jesus had already performed many miracles before that time, and word was quickly spreading about this man. He had cured those who had diseases, any kind of sicknesses, Anyone who had evil spirits, he made the blind to see and the deaf to hear and the lame could walk again. And those with leprosy were touched by him and healed. He even raised the dead back to life. And he didn't discriminate about who he would heal. 
He healed the Roman centurion's slave, as well as the poor widow's son from the region of Nain. He healed a paralytic whose friends lowered him down through the roof in order to get him near Jesus. He healed one of his disciples' relatives, the mother-in-law of Peter. And the Bible tells us that word, when word spread about her healing, many, many sick, diseased, lame, and demon-possessed people came to Jesus to be healed. It came from all over, Galilee, Syria, all of Judea, even the regions across the lake. Talk about crowds. His reputation was spreading rapidly, and as he came to shore that day, Mark tells us that a large crowd had gathered around him. They didn't even wait for him to get into town. As soon as he hit the edge of the shore, the crowds pressed in upon him, eager, curious, and expectant. Among the crowd was a synagogue ruler named Jairus. And Jairus pleaded with Jesus to come back with him into Jerusalem and heal his dying daughter. So Jesus decided to go back with him into the city. The large crowd that met him at the lake now merged with the large crowd that gathered in the city to see him. So along the jam-packed city walkways they traveled, slowly crawling through the swarming streets. In the meantime, a nameless woman who had been suffering from constant bleeding had made her way out into the city as well. I would guess that would be not a normal thing for her to do. Normally, someone with a disease that would classify them as being unclean wouldn't be seen in public because according to Leviticus 15, the law required anyone who touches someone who is bleeding to consider themselves unclean until evening. And then they had to bathe their clothes and, and wash and go through all these rituals to become um, worthy of being, again, in public. The Israelites were required to keep themselves separate from things that would defile them under penalty of death. So back to the woman. Imagine suffering through a chronic illness. The Bible tells us she suffered for 12 years with an illness that made it impossible for others to touch her. She couldn't be hugged or kissed. I wonder if she was married or if she was even a mom. It's likely she might be single or even divorced as a result of this ailment, which made her an untouchable. Mark tells us that this woman had suffered a great deal under the care of many physicians, yet she continued to get worse. She spent every penny she had trying to get better. So not only is she ill, but she is poor as well. We know that she'd heard about Jesus and his many miracles and thought to herself, if I could just touch the corner of his robe, I will be healed. If she tried to touch Jesus himself, she would defile him. So her plan was just to touch the edge of his garment, and then no one would know what he'd done, what she'd done. Back in Jesus' day, a Jewish rabbi would have been clothed in a robe with tassels on the corners as a reminder to obey all of God's commands, as directed in Numbers 15. Now, Jesus was a Torah-observant Jew who would keep the scriptural commands, so most likely he had a robe on with the tassels as well. I read something very interesting, and, and I just love when the Old Testament and the New Testament connect together. There's a great book by Rob Bell called Velvet Elvis. And in this book, Rob Bell mentions a significant prophetic passage found in Malachi, where Malachi mentions the coming Messiah. And that passage, that verse goes like this. 
The son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. Very interesting. The, the original word for, the, for that word wings is the exact same word for the corner of the robe where the tassels are found that a Jewish rabbi would wear. So when this woman went to touch the corner of Jesus' robe, there was a reason for that. She may have known that prophecy. She may have read that book of Malachi. And more importantly, she may believe that here is the Messiah with healing in the corner of his robe, and all I have to do is touch it. What hope she must have had in her heart, but what terror. What would happen to her if she was caught? Could she actually risk going out into such a large crowd of people where someone might see her and recognize her? If they knew of her condition, would, would they shrink away for fear of being, um, coming into contact with her and, and react cruelly? And call out into the crowd, unclean, someone unclean is here. Would she cause a scene? Or could the large crowd of people give her the opportunity she needs to be anonymous? Could she hide behind the crowd and position herself in the right place to sneak up and touch the corner of Jesus' robe and get that healing miracle and then sneak back out again? She may have figured that Jesus was like the other religious men she knew and would be repulsed by her unclean condition and her nearness to him. But if she could pull this off, she could retreat back into the crowd and back home without anyone knowing what she'd done. She decided it was worth the risk because she truly believed Jesus could heal her, even without touching him. What faith, what hope, but what risk? As the processional rushes by with Jairus leading Jesus to his sick daughter, the woman sees her chance. She has positioned herself along the route she knows they will be traveling. And when they pass by, she comes in from behind Jesus and reaches for the corner of his robe. She touches it. And at that very instant, she is healed. Her bleeding stops and she feels immediately in her body that she is free from suffering. I'm sure she was just leaping for joy inside, yet unable to let her excitement show on the outside for fear of someone figuring out what she'd just done. But all of a sudden, Jesus stops. He turns around and faces the crowd behind him and he says, Who touched my clothes? I was so intrigued by this question. She's been healed already. Jesus had already done the miracle. But he didn't let it rest. He didn't let it go on. He stopped her and he said, Who who touched my clothes? Now, he had felt the healing power go out from him. He knew someone other than just one of the crowd moving against him had touched him. The disciples also thought Jesus' question was a bit strange. There were people crowding against him from all sides, bumping into him and and touching him constantly. And they asked Jesus, why do you want to know who touched you? And there's so many people around you right now. They didn't know that Jesus gave up some of his power to heal someone. And Jesus doesn't seem to need to explain it to him, but he keeps looking around to see who would come forward and admit to touching his robe. This woman's great joy suddenly turns to terror at the thought that she would have to admit that she was the one who touched Jesus. 
I wonder if she thought that he might take the miracle away and expose her impertinence to all. She knew she was the one Jesus was looking for. After a moment, there was nothing else for her to do except confess. So she fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and began to tell Jesus her story. Everything came out. She told him the whole truth about her 12 years of suffering and about all the doctors she had tried to get healing from and all the money she'd spent and the worsening of her illness. And then the risk that she took that day approaching Jesus, possibly even defiling him and many others in the process. I'm sure she also told him that she believed she could be healed just by touching the edge of his robe, just like that prophecy in Malachi. Jesus' reaction was not at all what she expected. Most religious leaders of the day might be repelled by the touch of such a woman. They might recoil or turn away in a huff. Instead, Jesus turned to her, and in a loving voice, he calls her daughter. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. He had responded in kindness and compassion, not in anger or annoyance. Jesus had called her daughter. That expression in that culture was was a term of endearment, so much richer than what we think of it. It meant loved one, family member. It was used metaphorically to imply tenderness towards someone. She hadn't been able to be touched for 12 years, and now this great healer and prophet has given her a name which indicates that she is highly valued and loved. He has taken her anonymity away. By asking that question, who touched me, Jesus was allowing the woman to acknowledge publicly that she'd been healed. He was giving her an opportunity to be reassured that what she'd done was okay. He was affirming her risk and her faith in who Jesus was. Jesus' question sounds like an ordinary question, but it had a divine purpose. There were many times when Jesus used questions for purposes other than just receiving an answer. He often wants the person he is questioning to look inside their hearts and to think about who he is. He's trying to provoke a response and in some cases, cause a person to make a choice. The Gospel of Mark records 67 episodes of Jesus having conversations with others. Of those 67 conversations, Jesus asks about 50 questions. Questions like, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? What is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? to save life, or to kill? Whose face do you see on the coin? Why do you call me good? What does the law of Moses command you to do? Who are my mother and my brothers? Who is my neighbor? To those he healed, he asked questions like, Why all this commotion and wailing? What is your name? What do you want me to do for you? And Jesus asked questions specifically of his disciples. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? 
Don't you understand this parable? Are you so dull? What were you arguing about along the road? Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Some of these questions seem to have obvious answers. But Jesus wasn't trying to just get information from people. He was trying to get them to look much deeper than what was apparent. What was in their hearts? When he asked the woman, who touched my clothes? It was not just an ordinary question. He asked so that she would put into words what had happened to her. So she would acknowledge her healing, but so that she could feel his touch upon her in return, not only on her physical body, but on her soul as well. Then Jesus goes on to tell her that her faith has healed her. Not her faith in herself, not the power within the garment itself that she had touched, but her faith in Jesus as the one sent from God with the power to heal, the Messiah. He then tells her to go in peace. The word Jesus would have used for peace is the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom is a very important word in the Bible, and it's not completely accurate just to translate it as peace, as as the absence of conflict or strife. Shalom means the presence of the wholeness of God, the presence of the goodness of God, completeness in God. So when Jesus tells the woman to go in peace, he is placing the blessing of God upon her. Not just her physical body, he is blessing her with God's presence upon her soul as well. There is nothing owed for this miracle. She's now free from her suffering. She will no longer need to isolate herself or endure the pain of her illness. She is free. Free on the inside as well as the outside. That great risk that she took was worth it. She is whole again, no longer an untouchable. Jesus has healed her because of the faith and the fact that she knew he could. But even more importantly, Jesus gave her a more valuable gift than her spiritual healing. He gave her his love. He gave her God's blessing. He gave her value as a person. He allowed her to feel worthy of a miracle. After all, he permitted himself to be interrupted by her need. He was on his way to a very important religious leader's home to heal his only daughter. But this interruption was worth stopping for. This woman had faith in him to heal her. Not only did Jesus heal her, but he brought her into relationship with him based on her faith and who he was. Jesus asks a lot of questions. He doesn't ask just to gain knowledge. He asks to help us realize where we stand in him. He asks to strengthen a relationship. What question would Jesus ask you today? How would he compel you to examine your own situation in light of your faith in him? Are you suffering today? Is there something happening in your life that's holding you back from being a whole person or having a deeply satisfying relationship with Jesus? He gave up everything, his very life, for our spiritual healing He promises to listen to his people when they call upon his name. His love and compassion may be shown to us in the form of a physical or a spiritual healing, which would allow us, like the woman in this story, to experience 
the peace, the shalom that passes all understanding. He wants us to experience freedom from our burden of sin. He wants to bless us with his shalom, the presence of the goodness of God. He wants to make us complete and whole followers of God. Can we hear Jesus asking us a question today? Maybe it's a question, something like this. Is my relationship with you worth you taking a risk for? Maybe he just wants you to know that you're worth everything for him. He wants to show us who he is, the depth of his love and his healing power, his forgiveness, and his faithfulness. Instead of asking, who touched me? Perhaps he would ask, in what ways have you seen me touch you? And how does that affect our relationship? The question Jesus is literally dying to ask us is this. Who do we say that he is in our lives? Father, thank you for reminding us of your love and your faithfulness. Thank you for your willingness to call us into your family, to have a relationship with you, and to personally feel your healing touch upon our hearts. Father, make us complete in you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.